0: Welcome back to Horoscope Witch, it's Mal, and welcome to episode 10. Um, In episode 10, we are going to discuss the very controversial topic of Zodiac compatibility. So, is it real? Can we actually tell our love matches through the Zodiac? Can we actually see what signs would be best for us, or is this kind of all bullshit? I kind of want to get into that, since so many of you asked me that. (laughs) I'm like, why y'all care about astrology the minute you get a boyfriend (laughs) and then you're texting me nonstop about your signs? But besides that, it's like Mercury could be in retrograde. You wouldn't know, but you want to know all about this Aries man. So we'll get into that. We'll get into it. Also, of course, star of the show is Sagittarius, so we're going to talk about the Sag archetype, who is Sag, why are they the symbol of the archer or the centaur, and why do they have this bow and arrow, why do they need it, what is the lowdown with Sag? So first, we can just cover the weather, the current weather right now, what's going on in the sky. So... Mercury did go into retrograde on November 17th, and that's going to be in retrograde until December 6th, and then remember, wait a week or so, because we'll still be in the shadow of Mercury retrograde after December 6th, as we always are, because there's always a shadow period. I think we're also still in the shadow period of Venus retrograde, even though that ended on November 16th, but I think we're still kind of coming out of that energy. Now, I wouldn't worry about this Mercury retrograde in Sag. I mean, we just went through, like, I was trying to be positive about it on the podcast, but that Venus retrograde was actually, like, grueling, especially to have it in Scorpio during Scorpio season, and then for it to move into Libra. I mean, that gutted us (laughs) especially when it comes to like our deepest issues surrounding relationships and honestly I feel great after that Venus retrograde like even though during it I really did have to do some work uh like digging all that stuff out putting it on the table cleaning it off now I kind of feel like I can hold hands with whatever came up during that period for me But again, that was so grueling. And now to have it followed with a Mercury retrograde, you might be like, oh, my God, I defy you stars. (laughs) Um, But it's totally cool. If we can survive that Venus retrograde, this Mercury retrograde like should not be anywhere near as tumultuous as that Venus retrograde was. Now, granted, Mercury retrograde is in Sagittarius, so that makes me feel, as we'll discuss in a little bit, um, Sagittarius is the only sign that is holding a weapon, right, so he, he's holding a bow and arrow, so he has like this object, so that makes me feel like this Mercury retrograde may be affecting our objects more than usual, if that makes sense. Because there's some Mercury retrogrades that feel very internal, and then there's some Mercury retrogrades that feel more external, depending on the sign. So because we're in Sagittarius season, I just feel like this Mercury retrograde may be fucking with our phones, our computers, our cars, like more of that cliche stuff that you know, isn't always true about Mercury Retrograde, that's kind of how I feel about this Mercury Retrograde, though, like, just like flights may be delayed, like, the usual, the usual BS with Mercury Retrograde. If you want to hear more about my take on Mercury Retrograde, it's the first episode I ever made, I believe, Yes, the first episode, it's titled Mercury Retrograde. You can go listen to that first episode, especially if you're new to this channel. And you can hear my take of like what actually is Mercury Retrograde. Like it's a very trendy sort of thing. Like even if you're not into astrology or you're not into tarot or whatever, you probably still know what Mercury Retrograde is or you've at least heard the term. And it's just, like, thrown out there a lot, and I don't know why it's so, like, trendy. (laughs) I really don't know. Uh, But anyways, because it's so trendy and because everybody talks about it, I'm not going to waste too much time on this episode talking about it, especially because I've gone into depth about what Mercury Retrograde is actually asking us to do in the first episode. So please refer to the first episode. Um... And yeah, like I said, this should be a piece of cake. If we made it through Venus retrograde with everything intact, (laughs) I think this, this Mercury retrograde, just, just a piece of cake. We're just going to end this. And then December 6th, you know, our retrograde season is kind of coming to an end, which is really exciting. And we can sort of go into this new year, 2019, um, (laughs) with some intense eclipses, intense retrogrades under our belts. And we're kind of coming out of like a rough year, astrologically speaking. So it should be interesting. I'm excited for 2019 and the astrology that's coming up in 2019 as well. Also, something important that is happening or did happen already. November 6th I'm sorry, November seventh, um, north node entered Cancer. So what is the north node? This has to do with the nodes of the moon. So when the, there's a north node in Cancer, um, that must mean the south node is in Capricorn. That's how the nodes work. If we're in a north node in a specific sign, let's say Pisces, uh, the opposite sign is the south node. So if we're in Pisces, north node, we're Virgo, South Node. But right now we are in Cancer, North Node, and Capricorn, South Node. And this is kind of like the cup that holds the entire sky, that holds our sort of solar system and holds everything that's going on in astrology. So it's actually very important to note when the North Node switches. And right now all the babies that have been born since November 7th, they have their north nodes in cancer, which I think is really beautiful because that kind of means they're coming to this planet, um, to sort of transform our society into, um, that sort of cancer archetype. What is the cancer archetype? Well, first and foremost, cancer is the mother, right? Um, As my cancer friend, who doesn't really have that much interest in being a mother, she'll still say, like, she's a cancer and she's like obsessed with breastfeeding, even though she has like no interest in actually being a mother. She's like, I just really want to breastfeed, and I'm like, (laughs) that's the most cancer thing I've ever heard in my life, but it's true. They're like, whether you are a male or a female or non binary if you're a cancer, you carry some sort of that mother energy and mother energy can completely be non-binary. It doesn't really have to do with gender. It has to do with coming into this world and just having like an intense need to care for others and heal others. So I think that's really beautiful. And that's something positive amongst all the horrible news we get. Like, I think like, okay, well, You know, every day, like, we hear, at least in America, we hear on the news, like, terrible shit about mass shootings and our environment. And I just think to myself, I'm like, that's something I'm happy about. Like, right now, we're in a time when the babies are being born and the babies are North Nodes and cancers. And there's just something about that that I really love. Now, granted, when we're in North Node Cancer, like I said, we're in South Node Capricorn. So what is Cancer and Capricorn? If Cancer's the mother, Capricorn is daddy, right? So not all good things come with this, just like in astrology, like there's not a certain planet or a certain event that's all good or all bad, right? So as beautiful as North Node in Cancer is, we have the South Node in Capricorn. So that's going to present just some mommy and daddy issues on a very large scale and at least if you live in America you know we've kind of been leading up to this for a really long time I mean our society is kind of has definitely a lot of mommy issues and daddy issues right (laughs) Uh, but I think it's funny that the as the north node was entering cancer we elected a shit ton of women in the primary elections like, guys, I don't think that's a coincidence. Like, I think we really are moving into a more wo- women-led society, which is really good. I know even the Dalai Lama, he will say that if we lived in a more peaceful world, that would have to mean that more women are in leadership positions, and we would have more women presidents, and we would have more women prime ministers, and et cetera, et cetera, um, so I think this is really exciting, and but it also can present some issues. We'll talk about this more as time goes on, and I'm sure we'll see it in the news. like America is such an attachment to this idea of founding fathers and what they have created and protecting what they have written like a million years ago, right? <laughs> so this could kind of be these daddy issues that we're talking about. And I know just in the grand scheme of the world, I think we have a lot of daddy issues, just individually, but also collectively, we've got daddy issues. So I think that North and Cancer is going to help heal this a little bit. I mean, there's going to be pain as always, but I'm excited to see how this will continue to shape us over the next year and a half, give or take. So yeah, that's kind of the the weather forecast at the moment. Now, hang on, before I get into compatibility, let me take a drink of water. <laughs> okay, so let's jump into our compatibility section of the podcast. First, I want to just question, what is Zodiac compatibility? I was trying to put a definition on this sort of concept and I guess it's just when it comes down to it it's the idea that certain signs are quote-unquote a good match for other signs that's all zodiac compatibility is it's like what what sign is the most compatible with another sign and on the flip side what signs are incompatible with each other. Now, that might seem like super obvious and you're like, yeah, Mel, we get it, we get it, we get it. But that's something I've always questioned. And that's someone who just gravitates towards astrology naturally, that's the one thing where I like raise my brow. Like most people are the opposite, right? Like I said in the beginning of this podcast, most people turn to astrology when they're like in love or they want to know something about like someone they're going on a date with. Or they just, um, it becomes sort of like material and disposable, I think, when we just use astrology for our own like love life and romantic life, which maybe is why I kind of resent zodiac compatibility. (laughs) But I also do think there is something to it. I just think we have to be careful. Um, And that's kind of why I wanted to make this episode also, because so many people constantly ask me, (laughs) like, oh, like, I'm dating this guy, is he a good match, I'm dating this girl, is she a good match with me, and we're just going based off of sun signs, right, and that's another thing we're going to get into, sun sign compatibility, is it trustworthy, I don't know about that, (laughs) but, okay, there's other modes of compatibility, too, besides astrology, right, like, we have, um, Love languages are a big one. Um, You could do compatibility based off of your Myers-Briggs type. You could also do compatibility based off of your life path number, your Enneagram. Like, there's a million ways to figure out who you're compatible with. Also, though, I kind of believe that, like, love languages and, like, Myers-Briggs and Enneagrams are sort of all just subcategories of astrology. (laughs) but that's just me but also as like a person an astrologer in training or a baby astrologist like literally I could like find your love language in your birth chart like I'm not kidding guys like that's actually a really good idea if you're like a beginning astrologer or you just want more practice with birth charts you could just look at your friend's birth chart or even someone random and you can like see if you can figure out their love language within the chart. Because that's totally easy. Like, I feel like if you know about sun signs and, like, Mercury and Venus signs, and then you can, like, put that all together, it's totally possible. Same with Myers-Briggs. Like, the thing about Myers-Briggs is, let's say, like, so I'm an INFP. I guarantee, like, if you emailed me, if I had like 100 Pisces email me and I collected data, I guarantee at least 50% of those 100 Pisces would be INFPs. Just because like, uh, personality, anything that measures personality is just going back to archetypes, right? And Zodiac, the Zodiac is simply archetypes, the study of archetypes. (laughs) So I don't know, that's why I say, I just think they're all interconnected. And Like, when a Cancer says that their love language is physical touch, I'm like, well, yeah, no shit. Like, (laughs) of course, I could have told you that. You didn't have to take the test. You could have just told me you're a Cancer and I could have figured that out. So, anyways, when we see compatibility in magazines or books or... Um, just anywhere in the internet, um, in this article, let's just say we're reading an article about compatibility and this article is saying something like Libra should be with Gemini and Pisces should be with Cancer. So how do they come to that conclusion? So this may be really obvious to people who have studied astrology for quite a while, but for those who like are just beginning or who are just genu- genuinely interested um, when we read these, like, sort of very simplistic compatibility matches, people are usually just grouping the signs based off their elements and going from there. So if we group the signs into the four elements, water, earth, fire, and air, like a general rule of thumb in a very generalized astrological way of thinking um, you would be a very good match quote-unquote with the other signs in your element I hope that makes sense but so for instance like if we take the water sign so Pisces Cancer Scorpio would be quote-unquote a good match for each other Leo Aries Sag the fire signs good match for each other Gemini, Libra, Aquarius, air signs, good match for each other. Virgo, Taurus, Capricorn, air signs, good match for each other. Now, I'm not saying any of this is necessarily true in my eyes, but this is where like magazines like Cosmo or whatever you're reading these days (laughs) on the internet, that's really what they're doing, essentially. They're just taking the same signs within your element. And in general, like that's what people will think when like if someone asks me like oh I'm an Aries I'm gonna date a Pisces is that a good match I'm gonna say okay well that's fire and water what do you think (laughs) and I don't know like that's what I think though like I don't necessarily think fire and water could be a bad match I know what they do in real life like what happens when water and fire come together they sort of well, water puts fire out, but I don't know. That's kind of like you can actually dial it back completely to what the element actually does if we really, really, really want to simplify what zodiac compatibility is. Now, in addition, sometimes you'll see um, water and earth signs are typically a good match in very like simplistic compatibility terms, and also air and fire signs tend to be a good match. Why is that? I think it has to do with the fact that water and fire, I'm sorry, water and earth are more of our yin energies, right? They're the receivers, and air and fire are more of our yang energy, so they're like the activists. Um, If you think of the tarot, so water would be cups, and earth would be pentacles, so again, our yin energies, and then air and fire swords and wands those are our yang energies now that can be completely debated i'm not saying that's a universal truth that's just how i learned tarot and for the most part i think most tarot readers tarot readers think of the elements in that way so let's like crack open like 90% of astrology books like and it's going to say what I just told you, like in the compatibility section, like it's going to say like, oh, Scorpio is going to go well with Pisces because they're both water signs or Virgo and Taurus, perfect match because they're earth signs. Now, do I believe this? <laughs> do I actually believe these theories? Yes and no. But let me explain. Um, here's what I do believe is true like this is this is my my fundamental belief when it comes to compatibility i genuinely genuinely think that just going off of your sun sign is not enough and i'm not the first person who studies astrology to say that like at all like i'm not saying that's my my original idea i'm definitely not the first person who's thought of this but like it makes sense and you would also probably make this conclusion once you get further into your astrological study you'd probably be like oh well the more i study birth charts the more i see that you know even if i'm a sun in capricorn i have a million other placements that matter and i'm don't i'm not just a sun in capricorn you know i also have my moon in Scorpio and my ascendant in Leo and you can see how so many things factor into your personality so what makes you think you can just go out into the world and search for your quote-unquote perfect match just based off your sun sign you see what I'm saying I just don't think it's gonna work out for you um and I can attest to that like I've in my life I've only dated people with sun signs that are quote-unquote compatible with me like in in reality I've only dated earth suns and water suns and like look how that turned out I'm single (laughs) I'm kidding guys well I'm not kidding I'm single uh hit me up just kidding uh but it's like I don't think that Every single water sign is going to be compatible with me i don't think every single earth sign is going to be compatible with me, and I don't think fire signs every fire sign is compatible with other fire signs and so on and so forth. We can't just go off the sun sign it's just not it's not logical <laughs> when we look at the full birth chart it's just not logical you got you got to look at the whole thing um, I think what's really important actually when it comes to compatibility is not just the sun sign but we also really have to factor in the moon sign our venus and our mercury right because moon is how we process our emotions so if we're combat- compatible or we can at least understand the way another person processes their emotions that's something that's extremely important in a relationship right Same thing with Mercury, like, hello, Mercury, the Mercury sign being compatible may be very important because, (laughs) because compatible Mercury is all about how you're communicating. Communication is like the number one most important thing in a relationship, right? So if you're not communicating, or you do not understand the way the other person communicates, then I don't know how you're going to have a successful relationship, um, and that's what I mean by, I don't think that certain signs are doomed when they're with other signs. Let's take what's like a, let's, I'm trying to think of a, like a ink quote unquote incompatible sun sign match. Like let's take a cancer and a sag. Okay. Like, this is maybe the books wouldn't tell a Cancer and a Sag to be together. Why is that? Well, just from, you know, very generalized astrology, Cancer can tend to be more of a homebody. Um, their home life is very important to them. They tend to have a more introverted personality or at least need a lot of time at home. Um, Sag, on the other hand, we've got, like, definitely a more extroverted person who at least likes to explore and travel. So there could be some, you know, in an astrology book that's talking about compatibility, they could just be like, whoa, 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 you need to stay away. However, I mean, that's the plus side of understanding astrology, because when you understand the archetypes, you can actually have more successful relationships. So let's say the Sagittarius in that relationship Recognizes that the cancer is more of a homebody, so they don't change themselves, but they make sure that you know maybe once a week they have like a Netflix and chill date that makes the cancer really comfortable, that kind of thing. So it's kind of all what you do with the information, and I definitely don't think certain matches are doomed. Like, that's just not my philosophy, and I would never tell someone that. Now, I have a few examples that we can kind of do as students. So, (laughs) um, like, for instance, we'll take my, like, my major placement, since I talk about it every five seconds anyways. um, Like, let's say I have a Pisces sun, Pisces moon, Cancer rising, because I do have that. Um, so those are my three major placements. And let's say I meet a Cancer sun, Pisces moon, Scorpio rising. So two people that are triple water signs. Perhaps if we're going off of the traditional astrological interpretation, they would say, oh yeah, golden match, three water signs or triple water signs, two triple water signs. That's amazing. Me? I interpret that completely different. I think that relationship would be completely tumultuous. Like, I look at that and I'm like, what would we do together for fun? Like, cry? <laughs> like, that just seems so ungrounded, so watery, way too much of one element. Um, and that's kind of an example of, like, uh, just like a challenging match that may be like the stereotypical great match so you never know you kind of have to use your own intuition when you're looking at people's charts and how they're gonna temper together (laughs) I say that because we're going to talk about temperance later because it's sad season Um, but then let's talk about um, like uh, maybe an unconventional match for the sun like let's say we have two people Um, Person A has a Cancer Sun and Person B has an Aries Sun. Okay, two people who may be a Cancer and Aries, we wouldn't necessarily recommend in an astrology book because that's fire and water together. So, again, not such a good uh, match on the elements. But let's say this Cancer actually has their Venus in Aries. Okay, so. If they have a Venus in Aries and now they're going to date an Aries sun, that could give them a whole new understanding and a whole new aspect to their personality that could have them getting totally along with this Aries sun. And then to top it all off, let's say both this Cancer sun and this Aries sun, they both have their Mercuries in Taurus. So that's even a better match because when you have mercury in the same sign as another person, you're going to be communicating on the same level. So you can see how you can sort of look at the full chart, you know, do your own interpretation, think about how each sign is working together. And I think at the end of the day, it's sort of all about what you're willing to work through as well. Like, if you're a water sign wanting to date a fire sign, you may, that may challenge you more than just dating another water sign. <laughs> like, I think every single person has the capacity to challenge you, and it's sort of all about how much you're willing to be challenged. Granted, are is there such thing as a bad match in the Zodiac? Sure. But I think the conventional bad matches. I wouldn't think too much into that. I think you can see in a chart if someone is going to be a bad match for another, but at the same time, like I said, it's kind of what you're willing to work through. If, uh, let's go back to our original, if our Cancer and Sagittarius couple, let's say they're both unwilling to change their ways in order to compromise with the other person then yeah, it's a bad match, but I don't think that's necessarily about their zodiac sign, that's just a bad match. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so I hope this helps you in a little, in at least a little way, like, just don't panic if you're in a relationship with someone that you're, like, not necessarily a great match with, according to the internet. And also, make sure you look into the full chart, you know, you got to get that birth time as soon as possible. (laughs) As soon as possible, guys, really get the birth time. And also, one more thing I wanted to say about compatibility. So with all this Zodiac stuff aside, let's put all of our Enneagrams, our Life Path numbers, our Myers-Briggs letters aside. Um, I have this story, uh, it's a short story written by Alan Lightman and it's linked in the show notes so you can read it. It'll probably take you four minutes to read. It's like a really short story but this short story basically taught me all that I need to know about compatibility (laughs) and in this short story, um, this actually, this excerpt comes from Alan Lightman's book of short stories. It's called Einstein's Dreams. It's a really good read if you are kind of into reading short stories or if you're a creative writer. Einstein's Dreams is a really awesome thing to read. It's all these like little stories. They're kind of metaphysical explanations about time. Now in this little story I have linked in the show notes, um, it takes place in a world that has an infinite amount of time and no one will ever die. So everybody lives forever, and suddenly the population becomes split into the nows and the laters. So these are the only two personality types that exist. Um, Now, as you can probably infer from the title nows and the laters, The nows are the type of people who, because they have an infinite amount of time on their hands, they're never going to die and the world is never going to end. They want to do everything now, now, now. So these are the type of people that have like 20 degrees and they're always going back to school to learn something new and they're doing, 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 they're always learning new skills. They want to visit every single country in the world. um, And they're always go, go, go. And they're always in pursuit of knowledge, much like a Sagittarius would be, actually. Now, the Laters, I would describe as more of a Taurus-type energy. The Laters are more the type of people who are like sort of stop and smell the roses. They really want to appreciate life in the present moment for what it is, And because the world is never going to end and they're going to live forever, that kind of releases them and gives them a newfound freedom to sort of not think about the future at all and be a later in the sense that they're like, oh, I'll just do it later. I'm not going to run out of time. You know, I'm just, I'm just chilling. I'm just enjoying the moment. Like no need to rush. Like I got, I got so much time on my hands. I'm just going to relax and do whatever I want. So I think there's a lot to learn from the nows and the laters and thinking about whether you are a now or a later. And I guess my theory at the end of the day is that no matter what sign you are and no matter what, whatever love language or whatever you are, I think that nows can only be with nows and laters can only be with laters. (laughs) And I would love to know your opinion, so read that story and tweet me. Oh, and also, I have an Instagram now, so you can DM me on Instagram. Um, I'm at horoscopewitch, and yeah, DM me on Instagram if you ended up uh, reading that short story, and let me know if you agree with me, because that's my philosophy, I think. If you're a now, I'm a now, by the way. If you're a now, be with another now, and if you're a later, be with another later. I could be totally wrong, though. So check out that story. And then we're going to take a quick break. And then we're going to move into the Sagittarius archetype. Okay, we are back. Let's talk about Sagittarius. So happy Sagittarius season and happy birthday, to my Sages out there. I In my life, I've been challenged by a Sag, aka my mother. My mother is a Sagittarius. But I also do feel connected to your sign because we're on the same wheel because we're mutable, right? So all the mutable signs... Pisces, Virgo, Sag, and Gemini. We're kind of in this little mutable sign club. So I feel like I kind of get you guys. Although Sag has sort of been a, a hard energy for me personally to tune into, and it's taken me quite a while to actually like get you guys. <laughs> for a long time I didn't get you guys, but now I think as I get a little bit older. I get you more, guys. Come on. let's. But let's see. Here's the test. Like, now that I'm going to talk about you guys, you can tell me, do I get you or not really? <laughs> um, so Sag, like I said, is a mutable sign. They're also in the fire sign family. They're also a masculine sign, so more Yang. Um, their body part is thighs, hips, and liver, if I'm remembering correctly. Yes. Um, so these are like, you know, the parts that move us. Um, the planet of Sagittarius is of course the famous Jupiter and archetype. Uh there's different like there's debate over what the Sag archetype is actually called because some books will say, Oh, it's the Centaur and then other books will call the Centaur the Archer and I was like, Why is this? Like, why don't they just call the Sagittarius symbol the Centaur? But then I thought about it more, and I realized that there's another centaur in the zodiac, and that's Chiron, right? Because Chiron is also a centaur, and he's wounded by one of Hercules' arrows, and that's why we call him the wounded healer, right? So maybe we call the Sagittarius symbol the archer to not get him confused with our other centaur Chiron so they're two definitely two different people (laughs) Um, and also what is a centaur well it's if you've never seen like Harry Potter or um, I'm sure the centaur like archetype has been around forever but it's half man half horse so it's kind of like a horse's four legs and body and then a human torso and human head sitting on top, and then the Sag archetype always has a bow and arrow. Now, I was thinking about this, and I was like, is the bow and arrow, is it really a weapon? Like, I'm like, why do Sagittarius's need a weapon? Because like, as we discussed in last month's Scorpio examination I went into great detail about like why Scorpios are the scorpion and why they have the poisonous stinger like, Again, that's for protection right because I was talking about how they have some the deepest 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 darkest emotions of the zodiac and they need that poisonous bite of the scorpion to protect them but then, why does Sag also need a sort of protection? Now, it's not the same level protection as Scorpio has, but they still carry this weapon, right? They still have this bow and arrow. And why Why do Sag just need a weapon? Okay, so here's what I kind of concluded. I think Sag does not have a weapon because they're trying to hurt people necessarily, but I think this weapon is for protection because Saj is like the knower of truth, right? They they are the collectors of data. They are the philosophers of the zodiac. They are our rulers of our traditional ninth house. Ninth house is the house of philosophy and long distance travel and beliefs and religion and spirituality and all these sort of knowledge Knowledgey, what am I saying? At least I'm not very knowledgeable if I'm using the word in such a manner. Um, <laughs> but it's just, it's a realm, the ninth house is just a realm of the zodiac that I love. I have three planets in the ninth house. So I always feel c- sort of extra connected to how this energy is flowing. Now, I think the bow and arrow is protective of. All the knowledge that Sagittarius holds, because as we know, knowledge is power. I was thinking about this and I was like, where does that come from? Where does that saying come from, knowledge is power? And I'm not sure where its root is, but I couldn't help but think of something we learned, I don't know, in like elementary school. Um, I don't, do you ever remember learning about the Great Wall of China in school? <laughs> And when we were learning about that, we we learned that the emperor, the first emperor of China, his name's Xing Huang Ti, if I'm pronouncing that correct correctly, Xing Huang Ti actually invented a new word and that new word is emperor because before him everybody was just called a king. But he wanted to be on like the next level. So that's why we started calling him an emperor Um, and also something he did before he started building the Great Wall of China um, he was very obsessed with immortality he was obsessed with finding some sort of like elixir that could make him last forever but also he was obsessed with burning books right because he wanted to be the first leader in history and he knew knowledge was the greatest power he could have. So if he could destroy the knowledge that had come before him, that would give him all the power, right? To create sort of a new history. And that was just something that came to mind when I'm thinking about the Sagittarius archetype. Why do they have the weapon? Well, in a sense they're here to sort of protect our knowledge. They're here to protect protect our human truths and Uh, to question why we believe certain things, why we continue to do things in a certain way. So, knowledge needs protection. That's why Sag, I think, carries the bow and arrow. Now, for my friends who have their sons in Sagittarius, um, I think you guys really thrive off of being involved in a sort of healthy debate with yourselves and with others now that's not me saying you like to argue (laughs) you might like to argue but I'm saying that I think in life a Sagittarius does their best when they are striving to always be in healthy debate with themselves and others what do I mean by that I think when Sagittarius gets too dogmatic, too stuck in that ninth house energy, they can start being very closed off, closed-minded, very rooted to their certain truths. Um, they tend to start feeling like their truth is the only truth. Whereas we actually need Sagittarius to expand our knowledge. So if a Sagittarius themselves individually sort of cuts off their their knowledge and cuts off their power and it's like becomes a robot and they're like this is what I believe this is my religion this is my uh this is how I identify this is who I am gets too rooted in those dogmas they're actually not here doing their job of the zodiac right like you guys really have to keep us on our toes you guys have to keep us questioning who we are And in turn, you will always be questioning who you are. And that's the excitement of being a Sagittarius, right? We can't, you're here to make sure that everybody else isn't getting too tied down by their own idea of truth. Um, And that's why they say, you know, if you have a lot of planets in your ninth house, uh, you know, people with heavy placements in their ninth house, like I do, they turn out to be like priests or like studiers of religion. Um, hello, I was a, I was a religious studies major in college, um, or they turn out to be like totally into like metaphysics and mysticism and like it's sort of that dogmatic personality where you're just drawn to those certain. Those certain subjects, um, but in turn, b- being drawn to a subject is different than actually practicing a religion or practicing a ritual, right? So that's what Sagittarius is here to do. You're here to challenge us on that realm. And I think if the whole world is saying, like, oh, look how green the grass is on this side, Sagittarius, you have to come, like, riding in on your horse with your bow and arrow and be like, oh, you think the grass is green on this side, well, you should go see it over the hill because over the hill over there, it's, like, way better. So you always have to challenge your views. Now, you have to learn how to do that in a productive way. (laughs) Um, And in a sense, because Gemini is your opposite, um, how do I say this? I think people dislike... Gemini's for the same reason they would dislike a Sagittarius. Because people dislike Gemini's, I've said this before, because Gemini's are just a mirror, right? They're the sign of the twins. So they will always show you your reflection in themselves. And that's why people tend to hate on them, because for whatever reason, they, uh, they're they hating on the Gemini. It's really a personal issue, right? Because this whole world is just a reflection of who we are on the inside. And, Sage, you're doing that to people, too, just in a different way. Um, because you're more now reflecting us on a macro level. I would say, Gemini, you're reflecting us on an individual level, but Sagittarius, like, you're here to, like, point out those, like, big picture ideas that you're, like, wait a second, isn't this all kind of hypocritical? Like, you know, I feel like Sagges are, like, the original people that were, like, wait a second, like, do we really need, like, a hundred million different religions? Like, isn't this stuff all the same? <laughs> or, like, wait a second... Why do, why does this religion really hate on this religion? I mean, when it comes down to it, isn't this all kind of, aren't we saying the same thing here? Aren't we singing the same song? Like, (laughs) that's really what Sag is here to do. You're here to challenge us. You're here to be a mirror to us, but on a bigger universal scale, because you are the sign that rules long distance travel, right? Um... That being said, I think fire signs, just because of their element, they have the um, stereotype of being like these big extroverts and people who like really want to get on stage and like sing a song and like be noticed. And I think Sag a little, just a little bit different because you're the mutable fire sign um, in comparison to an Aries or a Leo. I do think Sag is... Um, I don't necessarily think Sagges are all extroverted. I think I've definitely met some introverted Sagges, which sounds weird to say, but not really when we really start looking into the fact that Sag is the sign that comes after Scorpio, right? And I've said this before, you when a sign switches over, you always have leftovers from the last sign, right? So what are the leftovers of Scorpio in your personality? Well I think there is an aspect to you that can sometimes be a little bit more introverted, a little bit more sensitive, a little bit more secretive than the typical fire stereotype would usually present. Um, That's just my inkling, though. Maybe you'll disagree. I mean, we can say, like, oh you know, who's a famous Sag, like Taylor Swift, like, okay, yeah, Taylor Swift is probably a very extroverted person, and she's also a very successful person, Um, and you can see, like, you can love her or hate her, but she sort of is the epitome of a Sag in the sense that, like, her manifestation powers are, like, next level, like, seriously, like, she's probably going to be the most one of the most, if not the most successful uh, female musician in history, and she's had that like drive in her since she was a little girl. Like she was just a little girl born on a Christmas tree farm that wanted to play guitar, and like you could see that she had that like Jupiter inside her like pushing her to manifest something really great, and I think that's what's really great about having that Jupiter on your side when you're a sage, like once you harness that energy, which is a big energy to harness. Once you learn to sort of master it, I I hesitate to use the word master, but once you master this energy, sages really have this sort of lucky thing going on. Like even my mom, like she, um, whatever she plays at, um, like a game where you have to like put your name in the mixing bowl and then they pick your name and you get a prize she always fucking wins that shit like I'm not I'm serious I'm not kidding like any kind of like prize or um contest or anything by chance like she does something where she like really believes that she's gonna win and then she does (laughs) And, like, I don't know how, Sages just have that, and I need more of that. So that's my little um, story about Sag Sun. But for my Sag moons, I think because we have this mixture of the moon and then also Jupiter, which is the biggest planet, your emotions, I think, can get really big really fast. You may have been accused of being an overreactor, or being overdramatic in the past when it comes to your emotions. I don't necessarily think you are an overreactor or you are overdramatic, but I do think that it could be that you're sort of like really chill about most things, but then if something or someone rubs you the wrong way too many times, one little thing can set you off, right? The word temper tantrum is coming to mind or like the terrible twos it's almost like sometimes moon and sag like it's like you're going through your terrible twos only you're like 30 years old <laughs> and there's like just like that inkling of like temper tantrum that you still have in you where you're like god like why do i react like this why am i like so chill one moment and i just snap well it's because jupiter's the biggest planet and it's in your realm of your emotions with the moon right so that's energy is just going to blow up your emotions and it's going to feel out of control sometimes um on the other hand you have a great capacity for good emotions and this can give you that amazing power of manifestation that I was talking just talking about like if you feel good about something if you're like oh yeah I really feel good about you know, going into this job interview and you just like ride on that good emotion, there's like no stopping you. Like I'm serious. Like if you maintain a certain level of optimism or a certain level of belief that this thing will work out and you, you have that no hesitation vibe that Sagittarius is so good at, I just think your emotions like won't get in the way of you or they'll help you. They'll be totally to your benefit. But again, like, this Sag moon, like I said, it can really blow up any emotion you have. So check yourself before you wreck yourself. If there is something that's irritating you, maybe just say it from the get-go. Don't let it pile up, because you know how it's going to get. If you If you let it pile up, things are going to get fucked up when you when you just explode okay (laughs) yeah so watch that watch that if you're a Sag moon I'm not sure if I know any Sag moons do I um so Sag rising people um if you're a Sag rising I think people are gonna think you're like like totally intellectual but not in the same way they view a Virgo because they're going to view a Virgo as like the teacher's pet like someone who is book smart um, can like think of facts on the spot Um, and even will be viewing Gemini risings in that in that sort of sense as well but Sag risings people are going to like view you as the person who they're going to have like an hour-long conversation with in a bar about something totally like philosophical like people may have told you like wow like you're a really deep thinker or like wow like I really find you interesting or you've really expanded me somehow I think in general, you're just gonna be a really good conversationalist. Like, you can talk about anything for hours, and that's what's special about you, and that's why people are drawn to you. Um, They see that, like, Jupiter energy. Now, that's the thing, though. People could be turned off by you in a way at first. They may think you're a bitch or you're cocky, but it's because you're walking into that room. And you have, like, that Jupiter energy. You're, like, a huge presence. So it's like when you walk into a room, like, everybody's going to be looking at you. <laughs> like, a sage Ascendant do- doesn't just walk into a room and, like, no one notices them. Like, everybody's going to notice you're walking in there. And it's just because you have that Jupiter energy on your side. Now... Mercury in Sag, if you have your Mercury in Sag, I think it's interesting that, um, in the Tarot, according to the Order of the Golden Dawn, um, the Tarot card for Mercury in Sagittarius is the Eight of Wands, which is really interesting, um, and the Order of the Golden Dawn calls the Eight of Wands card the Lord of Swiftness. If you want to know more about, um, like, tarot cards and their connection to the planets and their the signs and the zodiac um you should read this article i'll post it in the show notes it's by Biddy tarot and i basically like just memorized this whole Um, article about which cards are associated with which planets and then which cards are associated with which zodiac signs and it actually really helps Um, more for astrology actually than tarot but it, it helps either way so Mercury in Sag eight of wands so I think you're going to be communicating a lot of the times you're going to be communicating from a point of this is what I know to be true even if your truth is nothing is true. I don't know if that makes sense. But the way you communicate is very quick and you seem to have like a sense of truth that is very dogmatic. Like I said, even if your truth is, there is no such thing as truth, (laughs) like you really stick to that. Now, there's like a sharp intelligence about you um, but at the same time, it can go wrong. It, people can can interpret the way you communicate as your thoughts not being very well thought out, if that makes sense. Now, let me give you an example. I was watching, like, some trash, like, Real Housewives of Orange County um reunion and I won't act like I don't watch this show religiously (laughs) because I do um but there was like in the reunion the most recent reunion like I don't even remember the girl's name but Vicky was calling one of the girls um she said you don't have any moral compass you don't have a moral compass because this girl said she didn't believe in God And for me, that was a very, like, Mercury in Sag moment. Now, it was kind of the dark side of Mercury in Sag because it's Vicky telling someone they don't have a moral compass because they don't believe in God. And then at their reunion, this other girl, who I don't know her name, one of the other housewives goes, well, I don't necessarily think that, Vicky. I don't think you should have said that because I don't think morality and religion are mutually exclusive. And it was like mic drop. But again, that was another like Mercury and Sag moment. It's like we're constantly questioning the truth, and when we when we state our personal truth, we have to be careful because we have to remember that our personal truth may be nothing like someone else's personal truth, and that's how we sort of get branded as like um, like a know it all or too cocky or people get turned off by the way we communicate. So that's a little story about Mercury and Sag and just kind of what I thought with that. Mercury, or sorry, Venus and Sag. Okay, I have a story about Venus and Sag. I recently read a Sagittarius, a Sagittarius's tarot cards, and we were just doing like a general reading, like I felt kind of ill when I was doing this reading um and I the cards just kind of fell out and it wasn't supposed to be a love reading but that's what it turned out to be and I won't give you the details of this reading because like even though I guarantee the Sagittarius does not listen to this podcast but just like I don't know I just don't feel right about disclosing like specifics of tarot card readings on this podcast unless I have permission. And I don't have permission from the Sagittarius. But long story short, um, what we came to the conclusion was her her love life, um, I asked her, I was like, do you think you're afraid of commitment? And she said, no. She said, I'm not afraid of commitment per se, but I'm afraid that there's a better option out there. <laughs> And I was like, well, isn't that just the most Sagittarius thing ever? And especially if, you're, if you have your Sagittarius in Venus, or sorry, rather Venus in Sagittarius, that might be sort of your Achilles heel when it comes to love. You just feel like there's so many options. And that comes from the fact that you are the ruler of long distance travel so you know intuitively that this is a big world like a Venus and Sagittarius like I don't think any Venus and Sagittarius would be marrying like their high school sweetheart right like Venus and Sagittarius is so like eat pray love like let's meet a like foreign foreigner in a different country and get married on a boat or something (laughs) uh like there's just a sense that there's a lot of options and it doesn't mean you don't have the capacity to love and it doesn't mean you don't have the capacity for commitment. It might just mean that there's a certain time in your life when like you need to let that energy out. Maybe you need to play the field as respectfully as you can. Like don't be a douchebag. Don't be like a player, but like you kind of have to learn the lesson that like even though there's so many options, there's not a perfect golden egg that you're looking for. Like, every person you date is going to challenge you. Every person you date, you're going to have issues, even if they're your soulmate, quote-unquote. So, I think that's kind of the Achilles heel when you have your Sagittarius, your Venus in Sagittarius. Um, And lastly, if you have your Mars in Sagittarius, I just automatically think of the king of wands in the tarot. This is someone who moves about this world in a way where they just like, it's like honey badger don't give a shit. Like they're just doing whatever they want. They're totally acting on their intuition. They might even be acting a little bit selfishly, but in a good way. Like they just don't care. Um, they're just out there to do what has not been done. And They don't care if the hater's going to hate. Like, at the end of the day, they know. They use that Jupiter energy, and they know that, like, whatever they're going to create is going to be awesome. And because they genuinely believe that, they do it. So we really have a lot to learn about manifestation from Sagittarius in general. And now, moving into tarot... Now, the tarot card that represents Sagittarius is the temperance card. And I think this is like a card that most people struggle with. I don't know. I think it's kind of confusing because if you haven't seen the temperance card in the Rider-Waite-Smith, it's like a, an angel. um, She has... Or I shouldn't say she, because she's actually non... They are non-binary. So the angel, they have one foot on land, one foot in water. They are tempering, actually, water and fire into different cups. And this card is also known to be, like, the card of alchemy. And it's also the card number 14 that comes after death. Um... And that's actually key to understanding who Sag is as an archetype and also understanding the Temperance card. First and foremost, this is the card that comes after Scorpio. This is the card that comes after death. So this is like the card of like immense expansion. Like we are, it's almost like the Fool card has been reborn in the Temperance card And we have, because we've gone through this death of Scorpio season and the death card, we now have the power in the temperance card to see the world in a completely different way. And again, that's going back to, you know, that's what Sag's job is. It's to help the Zodiac, all the other signs of the Zodiac, see the world in a different light. Now, like I said, the angel in the card is known... To have no gender, they are non-binary. Um, instead of thinking them with to have no gender, I like to think of them at the angel as sort of this combination, a masculine and feminine energy, not in the sense of gendered energy, but in the sense of like yin and yang energy. Like I feel like this angel is sort of this perfect mix of um, the yin and the yang, the masculine and the feminine. Because they've gone through this death and now, they have re, now they're in their rebirth phase, they're sort of in this state where they can like manifest new things with what they have learned because they truly see the world in a new way. Now, when the temperance card comes up in a reading, I do think there's a sense that someone has gone through a death phase. And they're figuring out how to temper or take the, let's say, take the fire from their past and temper it with the water that they know now. It's sort of about integrating, like, how do I integrate what happened before my death moment and after my death moment? And that's what, the like, Temperance card is all about. For instance, like, I can try to think of, like, a real life example, like, maybe someone's marriage ended and that can be um that can be represented with the death card like let's say in a specific reading someone's marriage is represented with the death card and they got a divorce and it's ended but then the temperance card is also coming up so i think this person is kind of learning how to you know we can't totally rid ourselves of the past with the death card because without the past we cannot be our current self but we can learn how to sort of sprinkle in the moments of the past into the present to make them more manageable and to learn how to live with what we have learned now that's actually a really good way of putting it living with what we have learned so far Um, how do we live with our new knowledge it can be painful but how do we start moving about the world in this new way? And how do we start to take one foot or one step into our moment of immense expansion? So that's kind of my, my insights on Sagittarius and my insights on compatibility. Uh, like I said I now have an Instagram, so if you weren't able to connect with me on Twitter because you don't have a Twitter, um, feel free to connect with me on Instagram now. I'll leave my handle in the show notes, horoscope witch, and I would love to hear from you. My email is also now on my Instagram, so I'd love to hear from you over email. Now, I know I've been saying this forever, but next episode, for sure, we're going to be doing book club. <laughs> now, I know I've seen people on YouTube, like this idea came from YouTuber Samantha Menzo. Um, I've mentioned her on another podcast. I really like her. Um, she does really awesome witchy book clubs on her YouTube channel, so definitely check her YouTube channel out, and I'm kind of stealing this idea from her, kind of, because my book club on a podcast cannot possibly be the same as a book club being done over YouTube because obviously if I was doing this on YouTube I could have like people commenting and I could respond to people's comments as we're going. So I guess this isn't so much a book club, more of a book discussion, but I promise this won't be boring and I've mentioned this before, we'll do we're doing the book um Women Who Run With the Wolves by Clarissa Pinkola Estés. And we're going to discuss, let's discuss, let's just say the first 100 pages and we'll see how it goes. Um, And I'm just going to kind of nitpick the most important passages within the first 100 pages. Of course, we're not going to be reviewing like every single sentence, but I'm going to pick out the highlights. (laughs) And you do not at all need to like purchase the book or even read the book to listen and get something out of this podcast or the next podcast that I'll be doing. But I just thought I'd give you a heads up in case you do want to read this book because this book will literally change your life, especially if you are a witch, especially if you are an astrologer, a tarot card reader. Just anybody, an intuitive person, anybody, even though it's called women, like no matter how you identify, anybody will get something out of this book because it's so good. I feel like it's sort of like the... Intuitive's bible or something and I really feel drawn to discuss it so much so that I'm almost resistant to um opening it again (laughs) because it had like such a like earth-shattering effect on me and now I know to make the next episode I'm gonna have to go back and reread a lot of it and kind of take notes and really dive into it and I'm a little scared because this book will literally like Crack open your soul. I'm not kidding. <laughs> so I highly recommend. If you're not into reading, you can always find it on audio, like on an audiobook. And um, I might actually do that too, because sometimes I like to read and have audio at the same time. Because I'm a Pisces, and I'm out. My brain's always in outer space, so that just helps me get grounded before I read. But yeah, I look forward to the next episode and. Um, now that I have an Instagram, we can sort of talk more and you can DM me your, what you would like me to do on future episodes. And I want to thank you so much for listening. I, even though this podcast isn't like, you know, totally huge and isn't like the most listened to podcast in the world, like I am really genuinely thankful for anybody who is vibrating on the same frequency as me and somehow find found me and is listening. And I really send you a lot of light and a lot of gratitude. And really, it's just my goal to serve the listeners that I have. And yeah, so I look forward to connecting with you on any other platform. And we'll talk next time. Okay, see you guys soon.